I love that song because that song gives us a picture of Jesus we don't always think about, doesn't it? You are so important to Him, there's nothing He won't do to come and find you. So what do we do? We end up trying to run away and do all kinds of things to create space, but Jesus just keeps wanting to come and find us. We're going to talk about Him today, probably a little bit differently than maybe you've ever thought about Him before, so I want you to do something. You ever wonder what it would be like to meet Jesus? Just you and He. Maybe you and a couple of your friends, maybe you invite Him over for dinner. You ever wondered what that guy would be like? The one-on-one Jesus, we get to see him today in a very different light. And here's what occurs to me. How you imagine and how you understand Jesus determines the kind of relationship that you have with him. Is Jesus the kind of guy in your mind that would grab a shovel and shovel and help you dig in the garden if that's what you were doing? Or is he the kind of guy that would be just above all that and sit in a chair and drink a nice tea until you're done? Is he the kind that would do all the talking or would he do more of the listening if you two were to visit? Today we get to see a very different side of Jesus. I think you're really, really going to like him. If you've got your Bibles, we're in John chapter 21, starting in the first verse. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself this way. So what's been happening? Resurrection Sunday happened, and he appeared to a group of disciples in a locked room. He just appeared among them, showed them the holes in his hands and the place in his side where the spear had pierced him. And then eight days later, they're there together again. But Thomas is with them this time, who wasn't before. Jesus appeared to him a second time. Now when it says, after this, what they're talking about is after those appearances. Sea of Tiberias. You probably know it more, more readily as the Sea of Galilee. The, the, the same thing, Tiberias is the city that sits on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Awful lot of the action of the New Testament happens around here. And I think what John is really doing, I I tell you oftentimes, to let a movie run in your mind. And with this one this morning, do it. Because the movie is going to make you smile because the passage is going to make you smile. I think what John is really doing is setting the stage for a pretty remarkable screenplay with this one. Once again, Jesus chooses to make himself visible to his disciples. But this time he uses a very different way of doing it. Verse 2. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, we talked about him last week, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. A very detailed list of who was gathered. See, John wants to make sure that if someone says, well, who was it? People don't go, nobody really knows for sure, but we heard there was a bunch of guys. John says, no, this is exactly who was there. These are exactly the people who were there when Jesus appeared. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I love that. Talk about an everyday guy. What did Simon Peter do for a living before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman. So the guys are back basically at home on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It isn't out of ordinary for Peter to think, you know what, I'm going to go fishing. I know what to do. It's a nice night. We could use some fish, and besides, I miss it. So Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. They weren't all fishermen, but they knew Peter was. He'd be a good guide. So they went out, and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
We're going to find out a little bit that they're about 100 yards from shore. Here's a picture uh, from the Sea of Galilee looking back at the area that is very much where this would have all taken place. This is kind of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They go on the boat, and a lot of nights it was probably not very nice weather because the wind came whistling down a valley from the north, and it came right across the lake, and it caused a whole lot of waves and trouble. We read about that in the New Testament. But on this night, it was nice enough to go fishing, and these are fishermen after all. Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. That's what he did. That's what he understood himself to be. He lived in a fishing village. Talk about an appropriate text for Minnesota's fishing opener, huh? Although I suppose that most of the men and women who would find some connection to that are probably out fishing. For the rest of us, this group of guys decides to do what they know. Jesus is around. They're not really sure what that means to them, and so they go fishing. They get in their boat, and they head out into the water, and throughout the night, they caught nothing. They got skunked. Professional fishermen, nothing, not a zip, zero zilch. It was like the lake had dried up of fish. And they knew the spots. They knew their favorites. They knew where to take people and they knew where to avoid because they didn't want to catch too many fish and let the word get out. They weren't rookie fishermen. These guys had made their living. Peter knew these waters well. And they spent the entire night working to catch fish, and they caught nothing. If you know a fisherman or a fisherwoman, that is not the time that you want to ask them, how did it go? You're out for eight hours. Cool. What'd you catch? Nothing? (laughs) What do you say then? These guys were good at what they did, and they had caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. From that view, you get a good idea. That's about 500 feet. We find out it's 300 yards. Oh, not that one yet, but we're good. Um, they're 500 yards from shore in that picture. They're about, uh, excuse me, 500 feet. They're about, uh, about 300 feet. They couldn't tell who it was that was standing there. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children... Do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. Now let's go to that picture. And what you're going to see is the sun over the Sea of Galilee. This is the view that they would have had. On a nice night, that would have been a pretty good place to be. The sun's going to set. There's not a lot for bugs. They had a good night out on the water, even though they didn't catch anything. And this guy on the shore they don't know says, Children, do you have any fish? After spending eight hours and getting skunked, all they can do is say no. The Greek word there is pahedion. It means little ones, babe in arms, infants. Jesus is addressing this group of grown men as babes in arms or infants. It's an interesting word to use. Had it been anybody else, they would no doubt have been very offended. Then he asked a question to which he already knew the answer. They had worked all night long and they had nothing to show for it. My guess is when Jesus calls them children, he's referring to their faith, not their age. So when he asks this question, let's put ourselves in their place. Maybe fishing isn't your thing. Maybe work is your thing. Raising a family is your thing. A relationship is your thing. Whatever it is. You work hard at it. You put in long hours, maybe without a whole lot of people noticing. Not a lot of thank yous for it. Jesus turns around and says, Children, 
Can you relate? Can you relate to working really, really hard and feeling like you just have accomplished nothing? See, on our own, there's not much we can do. But the Bible says that through Christ, we can accomplish all things. So what Jesus is setting up is a Jesus lesson. These guys just don't know it's Jesus yet. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I am not the world's greatest fisherman. I just don't put the time into it. But here's one thing I firmly believe. Fish don't know the difference between the right side and the left side of a boat. Am I right? Probably what Jesus had done is he'd been watching these guys as the sun was coming up, seeing every time their habit, their pattern as a group of guys that fished together was that they threw the net off the left side of the boat. That was just how they did it. So Jesus yells from shore after he says, have you caught anything? And they say no. And he says, well, then throw it off to the right side. After he's just called them children. See, fish don't care about which side of the boat the net goes off of. But Jesus cares about obedience. So Jesus says to them to do something that was different than had been their habit. He tells them to do something different than what they were used to. He says, cast your nets off the right side of the boat. He said it like it mattered. Like it mattered that there would be something different that would happen if they followed His command. If they were obedient to His direction. What was the result? The result was that they caught so many fish in that one net that it was more that they could actually haul in safely into the boat. They'd probably never done that before. Here's a picture. It's called the Jesus Boat. Uh, It's in a a museum in a place called Kibbutz Ginnasar off the Sea of Galilee. There's no connection to Jesus technically or to the disciples, but here's what is the connection. They found this on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee and dated it to the first century. This is a boat from this time. This is exactly like what they looked like. 23 feet long, flat hull, narrow walls. At most, a big one would have had four foot walls. They're meant to be easy to move around in. You can imagine three, four, five, six guys in there working a group of nets, throwing it over the side and pulling it back up again. The problem with these boats is that they were designed by what was necessary and what was necessary was maybe a catch of 30 fish at a time they weren't designed for a huge catch and so had they tried to pull all of these fish at once into the net that shallow little boat would have tipped it would have taken on water and it would have sunk which at some point in history this one did now the disciples are asking a different question who is this master fisherman And how did he know that? And how do we get on the water with him again? So verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. you got to picture this. It is just as the sun is rising. Some guy on shore says, throw the net off the right side. They do. They capture so many fish, they can't safely land them in the boat. The one disciple says, it's the Lord. Hey, guys, it's Jesus. Simon Peter puts on his outer garment, his Sunday best, his, his, uh, his meet people clothes because he doesn't have everything on because he's been working. And the next thing he does is he dives into the water, which means I can't help but think about Forrest Gump and Captain Dan. Remember? He was so excited to see Captain Dan who's in a wheelchair on the end of the dock and 
forest tug or trucks on by in his shrimp boat, and he's so excited he yelled at him and he dove in, and the shrimp boat just kept on going. You know why? Because it didn't matter. Captain Dan mattered. And Forrest understood that. And now we've got Simon Peter, who is so excited that he can't wait to get to shore to see Jesus. He jumped in because he couldn't get there fast enough. This is the same Peter that had walked on this water not long ago and had begun to sink in this water not long ago and had been lifted out of this water by Jesus. This is the very Simon Peter who Jesus had called into ministry telling that old fisherman that he would make him fishers of men. And it all happened right here on this same stretch of beach. See, Jesus came back here because he knew where to find these guys. This was home. They had scattered right after the crucifixion and then they came back together and they all left Jerusalem. And so now these guys went back to what they knew. They went back to the place they knew, the beach, the sea, and the fish. It was what they knew, and Jesus knew where to find them. Peter was so excited, though, that he just stepped away from all common sense and jumped into the water to see Jesus. So what is your reaction to the truth of Jesus? What do you do? If you grew up around here, you are probably uh, of that variety of people that say, well, my faith is very personal. I don't get excited when I go to church. Jesus and I, we get along fine, but don't ask me to do anything crazy. Maybe you're one of those folks that when it comes to songs and you get one in worship that you absolutely love, but you're kind of afraid the people in front of you might hear your voice, so you just sort of stand there and sing real quiet. Or maybe you're one of those folks that are filled with reckless abandon and gratitude. Maybe your response to Jesus is just like Jesus' response to you. I don't care what other people think. I love you. And I don't care what's in the way. I'm going to get there. That was Simon Peter's attitude. I don't care what stood between us. He's going. I think an awful lot of us have built a boat for ourselves. And we feel pretty safe in it. It weathers our storms. Keeps us dry. Keeps us moving in some direction. And so that boat becomes our safety place and we don't like to leave it. Do you sit comfortably in your boat, or are you like Peter that without a thought jumps at the first opportunity to be near Jesus? Let me ask you this. Maybe, maybe to you Jesus is a dead teacher. Maybe he said some things that are good rules to live by. Or maybe to you Jesus is your risen Lord and Savior. Maybe he is the one who has rescued your soul. Depending on how you see him, that's going to decide how it is that you know him and understand him. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they're not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. See, the other guys needed to be the men of more sound mind and logic and reason. They'd been around Peter for a while. He was prone to these fits. He, he just kind of jumped off the deep end off, and this time the deep end took him into the water. They carried the boat, and there had to have been two or three of them that held on to the net, because we know the net is dragging in the water, and the other guys have to row it in. Because Peter's gone, he's no help. They've got to get the catch to shore. Still too much to pull into the boat. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place 
with fish laid out on it and bread. Curious, they had to be thinking. We hadn't told anyone to make breakfast and no one left a fire behind. And yet there it is. There's a charcoal fire burning. There's fish cooking. And I think what we need to realize is that Jesus anticipates and provides for your every need. We're really good about going to Jesus with the big stuff, the stuff that worries us, the stuff that, that we don't see a way out of, the 911 prayer kind of things. But you know what this shows me is that Jesus is there providing for us when we're not even thinking about it, when we're not even asking for it. It's been a long night of fishing and they were frustrated and they were hungry. Jesus shows up, makes a fire, brings some bread, and cooks some fish. Jesus provides for the needs that they don't even know they have yet. But they all, Jesus also provides for the needs that lie ahead with this catch. You know, with that many fish, they can bring to market. With one cast in obedience to Jesus' command, their efforts were multiplied and their work was blessed, not because they worked hard, because they'd spend all night working hard. Their efforts were blessed because they were faithful to Jesus' command and they were obedient. I have said over and over and over that if you want the blessings of God, blessings follow obedience. Being a good person doesn't cut it. Having more money than the people next to you doesn't cut it. What God is looking for is obedience. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if we don't understand. Blessing always follows obedience. It works for us as Christians and it same thing holds true for us as a church. When we're faithful and we're obedient to God, we've got to believe that He will bless us and He will multiply what it is that we put our hands to and He will allow us to catch an ever greater number of fish. And in this example, that's all of us, isn't it? We want to be a faithful church, faithful to God, faithful with our finances, we want to grow people deep in faith, not just throw you a little spattering once in a while. And when that happens, God will multiply that and more people will want to be around to hear that truth. See, Jesus multiplies human efforts when we're in His will. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. That's an interesting statement because what happens is Jesus is inviting them to partner with Jesus' will for them. They don't do it all on their own and He doesn't do it all for them. There's already fish on the, on the fire. But he says, bring some of the fish that you've caught. And they work together with God and they find out that result is nothing short of miraculous. A net with more fish than they can pull onto the boat and breakfast waiting for them. And I hope that you're picking up the lesson in this one for your life. God doesn't ever ask you to do it alone because God knows that you can't. God asks us to be willing and obedient whether it makes sense to us at the time or not. These guys didn't understand why it made a difference to throw the net off the right side of the boat rather than the left, but they did what Jesus told them. And because they did, they caught more fish than they could safely land. Blessing follows obedience. Verse 11, So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's an interesting thing to add because I would be willing to bet none of these guys had ever in one casting caught that many large fish, ever. Maybe if they caught 50 good-sized fish, the nets would start to tear. You know, they're having to do all the repair work by hand. 
And John says they caught 153. And even though there were so many, the net didn't tear. Now, the, John didn't refer to it as a great catch or an overwhelming catch or a miraculous catch. John says they caught 153 fish. Exactly. Not about 150. 153. So I did some digging because that number stuck out to me. Stuck out to me. I love to dig for those things because I know God didn't put them there by accident. It's not happenstance. So I started looking around and I found out that 153, that does mean something. When you look in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, when you start adding up how many people Jesus personally commended and sent and blessed and had a miraculous healing or a special commission or an act of mercy, He did that 48 different times. Sometimes for one person, sometimes for a larger group. Where He had a personal interaction, excuse me, a personal interaction that blessed those folks. He did it 48 different times. 48 is a long way from 153, though, isn't it? So you go a step further and you say, okay, well, let's count how many people were involved in those 48 incidents. Guess how many people were involved? 153. 153 people exactly. I don't think that John kept a running tally through his ministry days with Jesus to include that number. I think John just knew he had to include the number 153. But God knew what was going on. And so that we're able, when we're able to look back years later and say, what does that number matter? What, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because in Jesus' ministry life of, of three short years, he had caught in his net 153 people in a very personal way. Jesus had cast his net out and gathered up 153 people. So many fish, and yet the net was not torn. So many people, and he's not been forgotten. Remember in Mark 1, verse 16, 17, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Because it's what they did, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Three years later, Jesus comes back to the very same spot. He encounters the very same brothers doing the very same thing. Casting a net into the sea to catch fish. And when he sees them, he gives this miraculous catch of fish as a reminder that it is he, Jesus, who will direct the thing that really is important to them. That's the catching of men and women. Jesus is the one who will fill the nets of obedient and willing disciples who are willing to fish for souls. Jesus is the one who will fill the seats of obedient and faithful churches. He goes back to these guys who had walked away because they didn't know what to do now that Jesus died. And he reminds them in such a beautiful way, I told you I was going to make you fishers of men. And if you can catch more fish than you know how to handle, imagine what I'll do for you with people. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Can you imagine that Jesus you know? Does he do stuff like that? Does he say, hey, how are you? Come and have breakfast. I got some fish and bread ready. I think we think about this Jesus that lives out there somewhere else that just isn't that personal, that doesn't know our lives that well. And he says, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. 
they recognized him and they knew that what they just experienced couldn't have come from anywhere else. But Jesus starts the fire, cooks some fish, plans ahead, brings some bread, and then just says, hey, guys, come and have some breakfast. <laughs> How ordinary and normal and mundane and not supernatural is that of him? And I think it's awesome. Because that's the world that I live in an awful lot of the time. And I bet you do too. See, it's incredible because Jesus wants to live life with us. Jesus came in verse 13 and took the bread and gave it to him and so with the fish. Can you imagine Jesus literally cooking fish and bringing bread and giving it to you for breakfast on the beach? It makes me think of the countless times I've gone camping on the North Shore of Lake Superior. And one of my favorite things is a crusty loaf of bread, some cheese, and smoked fish from one of the places up on the shore. It's a pretty basic meal, but you know what? It's what I eat all the time when I'm up there. And I absolutely love it, but I realize that if someone else was along, I'd have to apologize for having such a not-snooty meal for them. And here Jesus is serving bread and fish for breakfast, just like, what do you expect I'd be doing? You're a fisherman. Verse 14, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's important because Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. Jesus isn't hiding. Jesus doesn't want to be off out there somewhere. Jesus doesn't want to be unapproachable. Jesus doesn't want to be more interested in somebody else's business than yours. Jesus revealed himself to them this way in a very personal, very ordinary, mundane way because Jesus wants to be real to you however you need him. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you every bit as much as to those disciples. Why? Because Jesus wants to live life with you. Whatever matters to you, whatever is important, that, that's what he wants to be a part of. The simple, boring things like breakfast aren't beyond his concern. You know, every week we stand here and, and we invite you to meet with a prayer team that every week has folks who, who set aside their time. They, they, they do training together because they want to be there to pray with you because they know that Jesus cares about the simple, boring, mundane things if they matter to you. We invite you to go and talk to them and to pray with them. And it doesn't have to be that your life is falling apart. It can be that you're celebrating something. It could be that you're concerned about something. It could be that you're not sure which way to go. But the reason that those folks are there every single week is because Jesus cares about the basic, simple parts of your life. See, just like with those first disciples, Jesus also wants our hearts. He wants our obedience even when we think we know better. He wants us to welcome Him not just as the Savior of our souls who forgives our sins, but also as our Lord, the one whom we lay down our lives to serve, even when we don't understand the why of where He might lead us, but we understand and trust in the who that we know to be Jesus. So I go back to the beginning and I say, who is it, the Jesus, that you know? Do you trust Him? Do you trust that He truly wants the best for you? Even if He's leading you in a direction that you don't understand or that you might not like or you might not agree with, even if He's, if he's working on your heart to give up something that you've held on to your whole life, do you trust Him enough to follow Him there? Jesus wants to live life for you. And Jesus wants to give you, in your obedience, a life of abundance. doesn't mean more money than you know how to spend. That's not the point at all. 
abundance is abundant love, abundant joy, and abundant freedom in the understanding that our sins are forgiven, that we don't have to earn it. He did it for us on the cross. He has and will do all things for us who believe in Him. The disciples were reminded that Jesus is alive and that what He really wants is to live with us and for us to live for Him. And that begins in one of the hardest things that we have as people is obedience. We do not like other people to tell us what we're supposed to do. We don't like to take other people's advice. We don't like to take their direction. We don't want to do things that we don't understand. And so I go back to the beginning and I asked you, who is Jesus to you? Do you love and trust Him enough to follow Him where you might not understand? Where you might not be sure of where He's leading you? Do you love Him enough to say, Jesus, I want to live for You and I want to go where You want to lead me? That is obedience. Otherwise, you're just making a decision based on the best evidence. What Jesus wants is for you to love and trust Him that you follow Him in obedience. And for that, He will give you everything that you cannot have on your own. Love Him and live for Him. Let's pray. God, thank You that You give us the example of these fishermen who went out and tried so hard to just simply catch fish, and they didn't. They couldn't. There were none to be found. And then Jesus comes along, and He tells them to do something different, something that was not what they had been doing. And they didn't happen to listen to Him, but they did. And then their obedience was blessing beyond their wildest imagination. More fish than they could literally haul into the boat. And this isn't a a story that's meant to be a good moral teaching for us. What this is, is very much an example of what Jesus wants to do for all of us. He wants us to trust Him, to love Him, and to follow Him, even when we may not understand completely, because He wants to bless us with a life of abundance, love and joy and freedom. God, thank You for what it is that You have done for us through Jesus. And we know that it's only through Him and through the power of Your Holy Spirit that we can begin to be the people that You've called us to be. People who are obedient, even when we don't understand. Who are willing, even when we may not want to. Because we know that we are loved, even though we don't deserve it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Reminder, Compassion Sunday. If you haven't ever sponsored a kid through Compassion or another organization, it's really an awesome thing because it isn't very much money every month. And you have the opportunity to write to them and and they make sure that they write to you. And you literally get to have a relationship with a young person on the other side of the world that you probably would never get to meet otherwise. And you will absolutely make a difference in their lives. We've got 23. And I would love at the end of the day if we didn't have to send any of those kids back to the home office to find another church. Uh, to sponsor them. So please pray and consider doing that. Also, Wednesday, 1 to 7, Blood Drive at the North 40 campus. Uh, th- those have just been a, a really cool opportunity for us to give back around here. Finally, here's my challenge for you. It's very, very simple. All of us create in our lives a boat, if you want to call it that, that we feel safe in. Sometimes we hit storms and sometimes things get rocky and sometimes we take on some water, but we stay in the boat because we feel that we're safe. Here's my challenge to you. Jump out of your boat. Be like Simon Peter with reckless abandon. Jump out of your boat and jump to Jesus. At the end of the day, 
even if your boat starts sinking, the only option you're going to have is to jump to Jesus. Do it before the boat starts going down. Trust in Him, love Him, and live for Him. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Jump out of your boat and jump to Jesus.